You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Exploitation of a configuration error in the FBI's law enforcement enterprise portal enables hackers to send bogus warning emails. The Philippine Office of Civil Defense Twitter account was briefly hijacked. Update on Iranian politically motivated threat group Moses Staff. Discount retailer Costco discloses a point-of-sale skimmer incident. Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf tracks zero days. Rick the Toolman Howard drops by the studio. And the U.S. seeks extradition of a Russian altcoin baron on charges of laundering Ryuk's money. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, November 15th, 2021. Messages that looked as if they were from the FBI early Saturday morning weren't. That is, they came from the Bureau's law enforcement enterprise portal, known as LEAP, a platform used to communicate with the FBI's partners in state and local law enforcement. But they were, in fact, sent by hackers, not by the FBI. The Bureau issued a terse preliminary statement later Saturday, updated on Sunday. It's short enough to quote in full, Quote, the FBI is aware of a software misconfiguration that temporarily allowed an actor to leverage the law enforcement enterprise portal to send fake emails. LEAP is FBI IT infrastructure used to communicate with our state and local law enforcement partners. While the illegitimate email originated from an FBI-operated server, that server was dedicated to pushing notifications for LEAP and was not part of the FBI's corporate email service. No actor was able to access or compromise any data or PII on the FBI's network. Once we learned of the incident, we quickly remediated the software vulnerability, warned partners to disregard the fake emails, and confirmed the integrity of our networks. End quote. Twitter threads from both Spamhouse and Kevin Beaumont provided an interesting early account as the emails appeared. The emails originated from FBI servers. Their headers show an origin verified by the domain key's identified mail system. Spamhouse reproduced the headers. The sending IP address and the from lines look legitimate because they are. There's no obvious criminal motive beyond perhaps the malign lulls of perhaps disrupting networks that were shut down as a precaution or of darkening counsel by eroding confidence in FBI warnings. Or it may be the simple coup counting one sees among cases of arrested development, 
who like to show the grown-ups that they're not so smart, but we shall see. The bogus warning read as follows, quote, Our intelligence monitoring indicated exfiltration of several of your virtualized clusters in a sophisticated chain attack. We tried to black hole the transit nodes used by this advanced persistent threat actor. However, there is a huge chance he will modify his attack with fast-flux technologies, which he proxies through multiple global accelerators. We identified the threat actor to be Vinnie Troya, whom is believed to be affiliated with the extortion gang The Dark Overlord. We highly recommend you to check your systems and IDS monitoring. Beware this threat actor is currently working under inspection of the NCCIC, as we are dependent on some of his intelligence research we cannot interfere physically within four hours, which could be enough time to cause severe damage to your infrastructure. Stay safe. End quote. And it's signed, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Cyber Threat Detection and Analysis, Network Analysis Group. Krebs on Security calls out poor coding on the FBI's Criminal Justice Information Services portal, a service used for sharing law enforcement information. The hacker who counted coup, who goes by the hacker name Pom Pom Purin, told Krebs on Security that he did what he did to show up poor security practices at the FBI, and indeed the Bureau has some digital egg on its virtual face. There's also a gratuitous and facially ridiculous shot at Vinnie Troya, founder of security firms Nightlion and Shadowbite, asserting that he's a known associate of the dark overlord criminal actor. Bleeping Computer points out that Troya has long been the object of taunts and defamation from some of the lulsters over at raid forums. They typically warn Mr. Troya when they're about to mess with him, and they did so this time as well. Troya retweeted their message, quote, At Vinnie Troya, you're about to get lit up today. Spam attack involving your name. End quote. A stupid prank, and, by the way, good hunting, FBI. Troya, by the way, says he intends to blog Mr. Pompomporin's real name tomorrow. The Twitter account of the Philippines' Office of Civil Defense was briefly hacked early Sunday and used to churn out unusual messages having nothing to do with civil defense or disaster preparation, the Manila Inquirer reports. The tweets mostly involved celebrity-themed Bitcoin speculation. Checkpoint this morning released an update on the Iranian threat group Moses Staff. Hacktivist or government-directed, Moses Staff operates like a ransomware gang, but its motive appears to be purely political. It seeks to damage Israeli companies by stealing data, encrypting the victim's files with Discryptor, and then releasing the data online. Moses Staff issues no ransom demands and explains its program as, quote, fighting against the resistance and exposing the crimes of the Zionists in the occupied territories, end quote. The large U.S. discount retailer Costco warned customers last week that it had found a credit card skimmer in one of its Chicago-area warehouses and that customers should be alert to the possibility of credit card fraud. Warehouse in Costco's usage means store. The company is commonly described as a warehouse club. ZDNet reports that some Costco customers had complained of fraudulent pay card charges shortly before the skimmer was found. The U.S. is seeking the extradition of Denis Dubnikov, a Russian altcoin entrepreneur who founded EggChange and CryptoCoyote, 
on charges of allegedly laundering money on behalf of the Ryuk ransomware gang, the Wall Street Journal reports. Mr. Dubnikov was vacationing in Mexico where, on November 3rd, authorities seized him and put him on a flight to Amsterdam, where he's currently being held by Dutch authorities on a U.S. warrant. It's the first arrest the U.S. has sought in cases involving Ryuk. Much of the comment on Ryuk and CNN's is representative have mentioned Ryuk's involvement in attacks on healthcare facilities. Mr. Dubnikov is, of course, fighting extradition and denies involvement in money laundering. He intends to plead not guilty because his attorney, Arkady Buk, says, because he had no knowledge of someone engaging in criminal activity. End quote. Sputnik reflects the outrage of Russian cryptocurrency traders and presumably their licit, semi-licit, and illicit customers with a headline that says Mr. Dubnikov was practically kidnapped by the FBI in Mexico. The semi-official Russian outlet quotes the aforementioned Mr. Buk as their source for the kidnapping angle. Quote, Dubnikov was detained in Mexico but expelled because Mexico doesn't have such an ideal extradition policy as the Netherlands. They have bought a ticket, in other words, they have in fact kidnapped him and sent him to the Netherlands because extradition from the Netherlands is in fact guaranteed. He is in fact held in jail in the Netherlands. He is accused of money laundering and may face up to 20 years in jail. We expect his extradition to the United States. End quote. They're thinking of cutting their extradition fight short, however, and just fighting the charges in the U.S., the attorney added. Quote, so far, we do not agree to extradition, but we will probably give our consent later because the Netherlands is a country where the fight against extradition is statistically meaningless. We are studying. Maybe it is worth agreeing to a quick extradition and sorting it out here. End quote. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. 
Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer and also our chief analyst. Rick, always great to have you back. Hey, Dave. So for this week's CSOP episode, you are launching a new series called Rick the Toolman. Damn Which straight. I thought was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, what caught my eye uh, in the notes that you sent over was the obvious similarity to how that sounded in my head compared to uh, one of my favorite 90s TV shows, <laughs> Home Improvement. <laughs> now it's, uh, are you going to humor me and tell me that's what you were going for here? Well, you got it exactly right, Dave. That's what I was going for. And uh, okay. the, right, the guy that starred in that show was Tim Allen, and he's one of my favorite comics and actors. And who, by the way, starred in Galaxy Quest, you know, a perennial yes. nerd favorite. Yeah, And he played yeah, Buzz Lightyear. I, uh, Buzz Lightyear, yeah. Buzz Lightyear, man. Come on. Right, right. So in this 90s TV show, he plays a guy who runs a local public television show that's kind of modeled after the real-world PBS long-running TV show called This Old House. You remember watching This Old House? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so his nickname on the show is Tim the Toolman, so I thought I would borrow that little thing for this new series. All right. Well, I'm sold. Say no more. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what your series is about, but I, I definitely enjoyed that show. I know, right? So uh, here's the idea. Okay, it's that security executives manage teams of security practitioners, and these practitioners all have a toolbox of their favorite tools they use to keep the organization safe. Everything from hardware and software products like firewalls, intrusion detection systems, and endpoint protection systems but also things like frameworks and compliance standards like the NIST cybersecurity framework and, you know, the U.S. FedRAMP program. So these security executives don't necessarily have to know how to turn the wrenches on these tools. And in fact, I've been personally told in previous jobs to keep my hands out of there because of the high (laughs) probability that I would screw something up. (laughs) I'm not saying that I ever did that, but I'm not (laughs) not saying that. You know, I'm just going to plead the fifth here. (laughs) Sure, sure. Got it. Got it. So... If this Rick the Toolman series is not about turning the wrenches and the dials on these tools, what exactly is it about? Well, I think it goes without saying that it's tough to lead an organization if you don't understand what it's capable of. And that's some combination of the skill sets on your teams and the tools that they are using. So as a security executive, you should have a pretty good understanding of how the tools in the toolbox can be applied to your organization. And for this week's first show, we're going to talk about the MITRE attack framework, what it is, and how you should be thinking about it at the strategic level so that you can direct your teams tactically in their day-to-day operations. All right. Well, it is CSO Perspectives. It is part of CyberWire Pro. You can find that on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir.
And joining me once again is Dinah Davis. She is VP of R&D Operations at Arctic Wolf, also the founder and editor-in-chief at Code Like a Girl. Dinah, it is always great to have you back. You know, we're uh, we're coming towards that time, towards the end of 2021, and I thought it'd be a great time to check in with you on where we are in 2021, sort of taking stock when it came to zero days. What can you share with us? Yeah, this one was really interesting. Um, I saw this article pop up on the um, MIT Technology Review in the past week. And so far in 2021, we have more than doubled the amount of zero days that were found in 2020. And the interesting thing is the article also links to a a Google Doc that has all of the zero days that they have been tracking since about 2014. And it seems to have been doubling, you know, every year for a while now. So the question is like, why? Why is it doubled this year? Are are we just looking more, you know, are we better at looking or are they actually being spun up? I think it's like a mix of all of those things. You know, there's there's more hacking tools available today than there were before. So people are are you know digging and finding more zero days, but also like there's governments that are like really sponsoring that and throwing money at that because those zero days are key for them in their spying espionage ways. And so even this year, China is suspected of at least nine of the zero days of having originated with them. What about the market for these? I mean, uh, people are buying and selling them. That's active as well. Yeah, I mean, not everybody can throw all their money towards people to try and find them, right? There's lots of these ransomware gangs out there that, you know, want access to these zero days, but don't necessarily have the skills or the tool sets to create them. So they're buying them and that's making the market even hotter, right? It's a uh, capitalism at its best, I guess. Right, um, and right. then, you know, finally, I think we're we're getting better at detecting them, right? Organizations and groups, we're spending more money looking for them as well and protecting ourselves from them. And because of that, and because more groups are working together, we're getting better at detecting more of the sophisticated attacks, like more minds together is always right, better, right? A bunch of smart people mm-hmm. in a room together are going to find more than one person on their lonesome. And then I think the pandemic's had an effect on this as well, where a lot of security researchers and stuff were, you know, bored at home. And they were able to do a little bit more digging and, and find find those zero days. And I think also the question really does remain, are there actually way more or are we finding more? Yeah. I think the jury's out on that one. Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, Dinah Davis, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha. I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. 
That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Dina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.